Hey everybody, this is your host, Matt Castellini, and welcome to Chicago Capital. We have a great episode lined up today, but before that, a word from our sponsors, World Business Chicago. As the city of Chicago's economic development organization, World Business Chicago drives inclusive growth and opportunity for our local tech, innovation, and startup ecosystem. They recently announced the 2022 Chicago Venture Summit, Future of Food, their new flagship conference to highlight why Chicago leads as a global capital for food innovation. Follow World Business Chicago on LinkedIn and Twitter for event details and other related news about our city's economic progress. Daniel, thank you so much for hopping on Chicago Capital. It's a uh, pleasure to have you here. Happy to be here, Matt. Thanks for having me. I think it'd be very helpful if we could kind of hear your professional background and uh, what led you to 86 Repairs. Absolutely. Uh, it's a question I ask myself every day. We, uh, we're, we're, having a, we're having a great ride, but, um, but it, it's uh, not, not an industry or a space that I ever expected to be in. Uh, I started my career uh, over 20 years ago in the technology space. I've been in and around software for uh, most of that time. And most recently, before we started 86, I was working in digital transformation. So Helping uh, old industries become new is the, the best way to describe that. And um, my co-founder, Joe, and I have known each other for almost the same amount of time, close to 20 years. And we start, ran a software company together, and Joe worked in the food equipment business. And as a manufacturer of equipment in the physical world, he saw a lot of pain around getting that equipment uh, fixed and maintained. And that pain point led us to start exploring whether there was an opportunity to automate repairs and maintenance. And that uh, was a, a big a big task, but we decided to start in the restaurant industry, partly because if you can do it in the restaurant industry, you can do it anywhere. And partly because uh, the equipment that Joe sold and the space that he knew was in the in the food and beverage uh, world, so in the restaurant industry. And so we spent five, six months just poking around and for me getting to know the industry and figuring out if there was really a business there and what a solution might look like to this problem. And I think underlying all of that, you know, this this thing that was really clear to me in the early days is how much pain there is in this space but also how little data and how little technology is really being applied to this area of, of, of the world, frankly. I mean, we're focused on the restaurant space, as I mentioned, but this is a problem in any physical building in the world. And I'd love to kind of dive deeper, I suppose, on the restaurant industry and specifically kind of your go-to-market motion. So, and I think this is a good kind of overview maybe to start with, but um, for you guys, are you selling into the restaurants specifically? Are you selling into the management and repair companies? Do you need to sell into both? Sort of like a two-sided kind of marketplace. What's sort of the, I guess, business model from that standpoint? Yeah, it's a great question. So maybe um, I'll take a step back and say, you know, in the early days, uh, you know, Joe came to me and said, there's a pain point here around getting things fixed. There's no data. Nobody knows how often equipment breaks, how much it costs to fix it, who the best companies are to do that work. And because there's a lack of data, there's also a lack of insights, which means that 
companies in many industries, especially in the restaurant industry, are wasting time and money on this problem. And so the first thing that really stood out to me, I was pretty skeptical, especially restaurant industry, bad reputation, right? Restaurant industry has a, a knack for being you know, pretty high churn. And so I heard all those stories before I was in the space myself. And when I started talking with restaurant operators, it was amazing how visceral and emotional the response was when I said to them, what's it like getting things fixed, right? There were a lot of swear words thrown around and you know it was clear that this is an area of their business that they just absolutely hated so that was the first indication that the true customer where the real pain existed here was the restaurant operator first or the the end user first uh and then the, the sort of marketplace side of it the, the vendor side came later uh which i'm happy to talk more about yeah i think staying on the restaurant piece did you at the outset decided you know decide you wanted to go after you know the Dardens and the larger kind of chain restaurants you know the McDonald's did you want to go after kind of the the mom and pop restaurants um, how did you think about that segment that you wanted to target within the restaurant uh, category yeah so tying that back to your your question about go to market um, we initially one of the things that surprised me is that big chains like McDonald's and Burger King and Sonic, you know, the Dardens of the world, uh, the, the focus brands, these folks don't have this figured out. And there's no national hotline that you can call if you're a McDonald's franchisee. There's no national service network, right, of preferred vendors that have negotiated rates that you can call to fix equipment when it goes down. And when you combine that with the fact that an average you know, restaurant has 80 pieces of equipment, and each of those pieces of equipment is mission critical to the operation, right? When one of them is down, it's lost revenue, right? And it's lost credibility with your customers. When you combine all of those things, you know, it was really clear to me that this is a problem regardless of the size or stage or segment of the restaurant industry that you're talking about. So we have customers now who are operating McDonald's and Burger King and Sonic and Taco Bell and all of those brands. We also have a lot of independent restaurant groups, right? Some of the best known and, you know, frankly, best restaurant operators in, in Chicago are customers of ours and they're independent groups. Some of them only have five, six locations, but they struggle with the same problems. And so when we think about our go-to-market, uh, that hasn't really been a factor so much as targeting restaurant operators uh, in you know certain size bands segments of the market in our case we focus a lot on the mid-market restaurant operators so multi-unit um, not we don't sell yet to mom and pop operators um, and we typically although there are some exceptions we typically don't sell to three four hundred plus unit operators either so we live in that in that mid-market space and we find the pain to be high there the acquisition of customers is a lot more efficient than with smaller operators and a lot more efficient than with bigger enterprise deals that, that tend to take a little longer. And then from the vendor perspective, yeah, how are you going about finding vendors? And I guess I think I understand kind of the restaurant ROI and the pitch, you know, mm -hmm. visibility into inventory management, cost savings, time savings. It's got to be a very kind of easy pitch at the end of the day, I would imagine to make. What's the, I'd love to hear about the vendor side, you know, how you're acquiring them and, and kind of the ROI they're seeing. Yeah, it's also a good, good question. I think the, the, the biggest value that we can bring to vendors is that we can help clean up the working relationship with their customers. 
and I mean that in a couple of different ways. Number one, there's not a lot of trust between service companies and you know operators of any kind. I don't care if you're taking your car to the mechanic or if you're getting a you know walk-in cooler serviced in a restaurant. We as consumers of those those kinds of services don't understand the work that's being done, right? We don't have a concept of what we should be paying. There's just not a lot of transparency. And so when you think about repairs and maintenance in general, I think transparency is one of the key issues. And in this industry, especially because you have this massive deskless workforce that's managing these repairs every day, folks aren't tracking this stuff in you know even a spreadsheet, much less a piece of software or a platform like 86. They're scribbling notes on sticky notes and posting them in the back closet that they call an office. And and that's it, right? The work orders are all on paper and they're getting shoved in a desk drawer. And so nobody can tell you how much money they've spent servicing a specific piece of equipment. And so on the vendor side, that creates a lot of messiness because you know customers don't know what they're asking for. They don't know if the equipment's under warranty. They don't know the the model number, the serial number, they can't tell you what parts you might need, right? So all of these things are are problematic when you've got low trust and high complexity. And so what we do with the, for the vendor is we really help clean up that relationship so that when we send a vendor on site, which is a part of the value prop, but a small one, uh, when we send a vendor out, dispatch a vendor to to fix something for a customer, we have that background, right? We know what piece of equipment in the in in the restaurant is uh, broken. We know uh, what troubleshooting steps have been taken because we recommended those to the customer. Uh, there's a bunch more context, and so it cleans up a lot of miscommunication that we hear and a lot of un, you know, wasted time on the vendor side trying to figure out how to actually help the customer solve the problem. And how are our customers interacting with the product? Is it through a mobile app? Is it through a website? Is it through you know SMS? What's kind of been the biggest um, channels through which people are using the product today? Yeah, so we have um, we've taken kind of an omni-channel approach to uh, taking in new requests from customers, and that's been really you know well received through the pandemic, one of the things that we've seen is the adoption of technology in restaurants has accelerated. And so we're seeing a lot more reliance on our customer portal, which is a you know, web app um, web app that uh, customers can use, mobile or web, uh, to submit requests and check on things and understand where, where things stand. A lot of times, you know, again, in this industry, it's a deskless workforce, right? They need to be able to fire off a quick text or an email uh, or open up an app and submit a request rather than being stuck on a phone or, you know, in the worst of cases, having to call around to a bunch of different service companies to figure out, you know, who can come address an emergency for them right now. And then I'm curious about as you know, the, the company continues to grow, um, what are some of the initiatives you have on Doc for 2022? Uh, I know you're in Chicago, and it sounds like you guys are doing great there. Are you looking to expand um, to other markets, kind of continue your sort of track record of success here in Chicago? What's, uh, what's on, on deck for 2022? 
Yeah, we have we have customers all over the country, so we're, we're certainly not limited geographically to Chicago. Um, definitely continuing to expand, you know, inside of our core customer base is is number one priority. Continued growth. Um, we have very low churn in our business. We have you know high growth. We tripled the business in in twenty twenty one, and we're going to do that again this year. And this is such a massive industry that you don't have to go very far outside of it. You know, you don't have to go outside of it at all, really. Um, to continue seeing a ton of growth. So um, number one, we're going to keep doing what we're doing because it's working and there's real core value there that we're delivering to an industry that you know has never gotten it before. Uh, number two, we are diversifying a little bit some of the feature set, some of the uh, tools that we're building for service companies, the way that the ways in which they interact um, with our customers and with us. So definitely product investment is kind of the number two you know, thing on, on my list after growth is how do we continue automating more in the platform, streamlining things for customers? And then number three is really the insights automation. So we collect a ton of data along this, you know, along this process. And that data can be used to give customers insights about things like when it's time to replace a piece of equipment instead of overspending on repairing it or um, understanding when certain you know, sets of warranties are going to be expiring on equipment and making sure that those claims get put in you know, under that deadline. Those are some simple examples. There's a lot more complex you know, stuff we can do, like optimizing the mix of service companies based on cost and quality data that we have that save cost, saves customers a lot of money in a given market. So all of the that that's kind of the other, when I talk about insights automation, it's getting some of those insights in front of our customers in less manual ways so that those things are flagged for them automatically. Um, they don't need to be pushed, right? There's a, um, we have an ability to be proactive about those insights and ultimately make managing repairs and maintenance a proactive thing rather than something that customers are constantly reacting to. Yeah, that was a piece I was going to uh, get to actually was was about the data I'm sure you're collecting. And sure. The, the ability to automate, I have to imagine that's <laughs> going to be extremely valuable uh, yeah. to, to both sides of the product. Um, you, you mentioned at the outset um restaurant tech industry the restaurant industry at large uh i think that it's it's true like i i definitely have spoken with um vcs founders who you know some vcs just don't necessarily want to invest into restaurant technology i think there is a sort of common view on the industry do you think it's misunderstood though do you think what or i guess what gave you such confidence to really you know, start this business, obviously you identified a problem, but you mentioned the churn issues. In what ways do you think the industry is misunderstood or how did you get comfortable with, you know, this industry being kind of, you know, where you started first? Yeah, it's a great question. Yes, I think the restaurant tech industry is misunderstood. I guess first I'll say I wouldn't pigeonhole our business into being sort of vertical SaaS. We can take this solution and apply it to a lot of other industries. We're just not doing that right now. We're not we're really focused on the restaurant space. And I think that's helpful. It's helpful to be focused, especially at this stage. That being said, if we talk about just the restaurant industry, I think it's misunderstood for a couple of reasons. I think number one, how you segment the restaurant industry makes a big impact on how you should think about some of the common problems in the industry. So number one, 
you know, if you think about mom and pop restaurants, usually single unit restaurant operators, usually pretty low margin, often passion projects, right? Um, not necessarily particularly sustainable businesses over the long term. Those those kinds of operators represent a pretty big chunk of the restaurant industry, but they are just one segment, you know, of the total space. If you start looking at the mid market and above where we're playing, that's where I think the the the, the, the dynamics, the economics of it really change. You know, if you think about a, a McDonald's operator, right, franchisee even. You know, the average McDonald's franchisee has eight units, and the average unit volume for a McDonald's is two point four million dollars. So that's a you know that's a twenty million dollar business. Um, it's not not small, and the margins are not that small either, depending on you know the operator and and the market and the brand. So these are real companies uh, who have you know real problems. They also have there's huge opportunity because there's so much complexity and so much fragmentation in the restaurant space. That's exactly what makes it hard, but it's also what makes it so valuable when you do figure out something and you solve a problem for that for that market. There's just a ton of value to be delivered there. And that was the thing that got me over the hump of, okay, there's something here is that fragmentation and that pain. When you combine those things, there's got to be a way to you know, solve that problem. Yeah. And I'd also say too, just there's been plenty of extremely successful restaurant tech businesses that have forged a path that have achieved yeah. excellent scale. So, um, you know, the path is there. It's, it's, it's a great point, I think, too, about the different segments, the different kind of wants and needs of each of those segments. Uh, and now I think that's, that's really interesting. You mentioned, well, I though... Also, uh, just to chime in, I, I also think you know, when people think about how restaurant tech, they're often thinking about the front of the house. So they're thinking about third-party delivery, right? They're thinking of Uber Eats and Grubhub, and they're thinking of, you know, online ordering and, you know, those kinds of platforms. There's a massive untapped opportunity in the back of the house, and that's the space that we're in. Uh, but, you know, a lot of the front of house technology was subsidized, especially third-party delivery, was subsidized by VC for a long time. And so now it's some of those unit challenges of unit economics are coming to roost a bit. And you can also make the opposite mistake of thinking that space is more sexy than it really is. No, I think that's a great point as well. Um, yeah, especially kind of what we're seeing with these companies as they hit maturity and as they hit scale. Um, mm-hmm. You know, once that capital becomes, you know, public market uh, investors, uh, it's a very different yep. ballgame for sure. Um, and I love your point too about the back of the house and how much untapped opportunity there is as well. Um, you did mention about future expansion and you mentioned that, you know, you're not just a pure play vertical SaaS business. Uh, on that topic, would love to hear other industries you think um, could be kind of the next move for 86 repairs and and when you think that evolution would happen in the life cycle of your your business? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. The, the first part of it is easier than the second. Um, so the way I think about expansion opportunity in this space is at the core, if you, if you put restaurants at the center, um, the next level out is commercial kitchens, right? So if you think about all the places you have commercial kitchens, Retirement communities, hospitals, hotels, uh, education, K through twelve, colleges, uh, corporate cafeterias, right? So there are lots of places where there are commercial kitchens uh, that don't fit into the restaurant industry and aren't included in in the restaurant TAM. And then if you take it one level further out, we manage 
HVAC issues and plumbing and electrical and fire suppression, right? A bunch of other categories outside of what you would find in a kitchen. So in addition to commercial kitchens, now you expand to the universe of all physical buildings in the world. And it's a much, much larger opportunity. I think in the short and medium term for us, as I said, the restaurant market is huge. I have no plans in the next 18 months to make a big push into other industries. But I do think uh, beyond that, there's an opportunity, I think, especially in industries like hotels, retirement communities, where you have a strong presence of facilities management. You have people who are caring about the facility, but the commercial kitchen is under you know, undervalued and, and under, you know, under supported. I think there's an opportunity there. Um, that's as far as I can, you know, as far as my crystal ball goes. Nope. That's far enough. That's perfect. That works. Um, I would love to talk about in our remaining time, fundraising efforts, anything you see on the horizon in 2022. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe cover that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the, the business has grown uh, about 36% already in Q1. We are uh, we'll con- expecting to continue that growth to accelerate and, and certainly on track for that with the sales metrics that I'm seeing. We are, uh, we're about to raise our Series A. So our uh, that process will kick off here in April. Uh, we will be, hopefully it'll be a short process, but uh, we'll be talking with uh, investors both in Chicago and outside of Chicago. We've been really fortunate to have a bunch of amazing investors at the table. Um, some, you know, well-respected and excellent VC firms like uh, TDF Ventures, uh, Math Venture Partners in Chicago, and then some folks who are really close to the restaurant industry, Gordon Food Service through uh, their innovation group, Relish Works. Um, Don Thompson and Cleveland Avenue, uh, Don obviously being the, one of the former CEOs of McDonald's, um, folks like that who really know the space and have been super helpful, you know, in, in uh, not just providing capital, but also connections to the industry and insights to us. So as we look at our next round, that's one of the things that I'll be you know, thinking about is who are we bring, which new investors are we bringing to the table, and what kind of value can they provide beyond just money? Um, because it's been been such an important part of our our you know capital story so far. And you know, you mentioned um, Chicago. You mentioned the Chicago investors you already have. Um, yeah. I would love to hear about the decision to you know start the company in Chicago, and you know what it's what it's been like, kind of being a founder here, and and uh, obviously pitching to some of the great restaurants we have here. Uh, we'd just <laughs> love to hear what that experience has been like. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been, you know, as a founder, I've been traveling a lot and been kind of a nomad over the last couple of months here. Um, so I, I've kind of been all over. And one of the things I think is unique about Chicago is there's a real sense of community in the in the venture world and in the startup world in Chicago. You, know, you have great organizations like 1871, uh, like some of the investors that I just mentioned. There's just a lot of, there's a lot of energy behind it that I don't find everywhere. And Chicago obviously has been in the news a lot for, you know, the number of, of unicorns and big exits that, um, we've had over the last couple of years. So I think that's all exciting. Chicago is, has some untapped potential, I think, in terms of talent. Uh, obviously, you have a you know, significant tech industry in Chicago. So for a tech company like ours, you know, being in the Chicago land area is important. Um, we've made the decision to also hire remotely. We, we made that decision you know, since 
you know, b- b- well before the pandemic uh, to kind of grow our team. But we still have about a third of our team in Chicago, and um, we've just ended up finding a lot of the best candidates there. So I think that that tells the whole story. Yeah, no, that's uh, there's a lot of great schools. There's a lot of great uh, human capital for sure running yeah, around and right. uh, looking at your roster of people on the team already. You can see that you guys are basically representing every major school, I feel like, in the <laughs> Chicagoland area. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Daniel, I want to thank you so much for for coming on the show. Um, if, if people want to reach you, reach out to you, obviously, since you're fundraising, maybe some VCs will listen to this and uh, love the story. So if people want to reach out, uh, where should they go? Yeah, so our website, uh, 86repairs.com, is the best place to find you know, general information about uh, about the business. And I'm on LinkedIn. That's a great place to start. Uh, send me a note, and um, we can connect and go from there. Awesome. Daniel, thank you so much. Pleasure talking to you, and hope to have you back on soon. Awesome. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Matt.